Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. This week I'm talking to leadership powerhouse Diana Asagi. She shares with us some tales from her own time in headship. She talks about some new work that she's doing to help women thrive at the leadership table. And she gives us some really practical advice for new heads and the governing bodies supporting them at this time of year. This discussion is absolutely packed with thought-provoking ideas, wisdom, passion and humour that shine throughout and I really hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I did recording it. And as ever, just to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Hello, today I'm joined by Diana Asagi, who is uh, an ex-head teacher and, well, uh, a leader of leaders. Hi, Diana, how are I'm you? I'm good, good to be with you on your platform. Thanks for having me. Well, you're very welcome. And perhaps you could start by telling any listeners who aren't familiar with the work you do a bit more about your background and kind of career to date. Oh, you know, when people say to you, also, oh, what do you do then? And I think, OK, I'm going to take a minute of your life now. <laughs> so what do I do? I'm an ex-secondary head teacher. I was a head teacher at a phenomenal school in North London. I, gosh, before that I was a scientist, you know, a bit geeky. I, I inspect schools. I teach leaders leadership, have an academy of women's leadership. I teach leadership, the, the, the nuts and bolts of it. Um, as well as I'm a theory, I'm a programme director for a master's in educational leadership for National College. I, I suppose I teach leaders who are in challenging circumstances. So if you're at the chalk face, you know, you're, you're busy changing the narrative of young people's lives, then I'm probably the person that would be coaching you. Um, if your biggest yeah. challenge is what to paint the cricket pavilion, then I'm not your coach. Yeah, but if you're if you, one of your challenges, you know, not just about money, but how do I get the staff to buy into a vision that is absolutely impossible unless we all pull off something big here? Because kids like this, air quote, don't get mm. to have that kind of vision in their lives. Then I'd be the person that'd be working alongside you, alongside your school, at that senior level, helping you to bring that vision to pass. So that's what I, I spend a lot of my time helping leaders at the, the challenging end of school leadership making it possible yeah and um when uh we we met the other day we were talking you, you mentioned that people don't get taught how to be leaders in in the yeah. school system um and i think that is that is really true so can you tell me a little bit about your thoughts there so when, when we were at that um that event wasn't on that Saturday afternoon and I was just thinking about how do you become a leader in a school system so let's say you're head of science so you're, you're 2IC in science you're a science teacher PGC fine 
you get promoted to become head of key stage three, something like that. You get promoted to become head of science. So your promotion comes through the science sort of route. Okay, you're, you're there because of your science background. That's where you came, that's a door. Then you're a good head of science and you pull out some really amazing results. You make the progress eight go shooting up and all that kind of thing. Your team's really effective. So you go for an assistant headship. And because you're a scientist, guess what? You get appointed because those are rare things, aren't they? Well, if you're a mathematician, well, definitely appoint you. And so you get appointed, not because you're a great leader, but because you're a great scientist or an understander of the science education, science curriculum, and you can make that happen for young people. But actually, your leadership skills are within that realm. So now you're an assistant head. And you might be assistant head for staff development or for data, whatever is your skill, fine. But you remember you're appointed for that particular skill. Then what happens, you're an effective assistant head, or things go well, you get appointed to deputyship. No one's taught you how to be a leader, You've done your MPQ, you've done more science um, CPD, you've done the keeping school safe every year CPD that we all have to do. You know, you've done those bits, but who has sat you down and taught you how to have a difficult conversation? Who has sat you down and taught you how to lead your team when crisis comes? Who has taught you how to have how to create a psychologically safe culture for your team and then for your wider part of your school. You don't get taught that, but you are expected to do it because you are the assistant head, the deputy head or the head teacher. In my years of headship, nobody taught me how to handle difficult colleagues. No one. I did it trial and error, messed up a load of times, got it right sometimes, but it was always trial and error. Talking with people, getting bits of information, talking with a coach and that, but no one taught me leadership, not on purpose, not explicitly. And I did MPQH back in 2007. It was a lovely course, thoroughly enjoyed myself. It did not prepare me for headship whatsoever. The two things weren't even connected when I did my MPQH. I did all this theory, <laughs> which frankly was as used as a chocolate teapot when my staff went on strike because I was doing redundancies. So they walked out and it's just me and a senior team. Now, where did I learn how to deal with that kind of thing on the MPQA, which says, if you've got this, you're ready for headship. So that's my issue that we don't teach leadership we teach the theory sometimes and the rest we hope comes along on a wing and a prayer and we are too valuable as professionals to have that approach to have that wing and a prayer approach to have that you know we'll go and go on a one-day cpd on difficult conversations and hope that helps no we, we should be putting in place things that are valuable for valuable colleagues but we don't we don't, not on, a, not on a wide scale. You might have a forward thinking CEO who might do it, but too many people's careers are in the hands of that might. And that's how we lose people, especially at senior leadership um, level. People walk out because it's too difficult because I wasn't taught how to do this. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's such an interesting point. And also thinking about a lot of the time 
if you're not being explicitly taught uh, leadership, you're learning from the people ahead of you in your school and in your context. And that, that might be brilliant. Um, that, that might be mean that you're picking up behaviours and ideas that actually don't serve you when it's your turn. And also there's this um, expectation on those people at the top to spend time teaching people who are coming through when there, you know, there aren't those hours in the day much as I'm sure a lot of people would want them to be. That's it. I mean, it's, it's an ad hoc picture. And we've got the lives of young people in our hands. We are at the cradle of the nation. Nothing happens unless we get our job right. You don't get lawyers and doctors and hairdressers and plumbers and beauticians unless they are going to school, get through school, and then they go off into society. We are at the cradle. We're at the, you know, we are at the, the absolute nexus of society. And yet we have this ad hoc approach to leadership. But you wouldn't know it by all the leadership courses that are out there. It looks like we've got it right, but clearly not because we can't recruit head teachers. Some schools advertise again and again and again, and yet we've got thousands of deputy heads. So something's happening here. People not wanting to step up into that top position. I wouldn't, <laughs> if I look back on it now, God, sorry, you're nuts. But you know, I sat under the tutelage of a great head teacher, he was very charismatic, and I watched him. I didn't repeat the things that he did, all of them, but I watched him deal openly with some tough situation because he he was vulnerable to me he let himself be vulnerable to me and so therefore I got to see headship and I thought yeah I can do that but if I had just seen the craziness and not understood what he was doing because he didn't show me I would never have gone for headship no way who there are other ways of making money I don't want to do that yeah, and I think that's, that just sort of leads me on to another question. Then, when you talk about the the vulnerability there, and um, often we've had discussions on the podcast, almost of a kind of mask that that leaders wear to try and you know say everything's all right. Don't worry, I've I've got this. While they're running themselves into the ground, trying to do everything for for everybody. Um, and um, you, you, you've spoken about in your in your writing, and you, you know, you alluded to there at the beginning with the, the the strikes at your school, and your own excellent podcast focuses on mistakes, mishaps, and and triumphs. <laughs> I wonder Good if title, you, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fantastic. I, I wonder if you'd like to share some, of, some of those from your your back catalogue. <laughs> <laughs> my extensive back catalogue of mistakes. <laughs> oh my God. You know, my, my, my primary mistake, you're going to laugh at this. I genuinely thought that I could be omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, everywhere all at once. Those three words, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, are what you describe God. I was a rubbish God. I mean, I was so bad at being God. And I genuinely thought that that's what you did as a head teacher. You knew everything. You went everywhere. You were always there. And you, you, you just had it all together. 
I, I don't tell me who told me that. No one told me. I assumed some warped idea of phenomenal leadership. The school was in difficulties, blah, 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 blah. So you just, you pick up Superman pants and you put them on. They don't fit. They don't even look good on Superman let alone Diana and Sagi. So my mistake was thinking that I could do everything. I was soon disabused <laughs> of this status by my staff. And there were whole heaps of stuff that I couldn't do. Not I couldn't do them, I didn't know what I was doing. So when it came to things like SCND, that whole world, I haven't got a Scooby-Doo. I really haven't. But I learned to employ people who had very much a Scooby-Doo. They had a clue. They knew what was going on. When it came to writing the timetable, I don't know how to band and block and put this. I know what I want it to do, right? But I, I don't know the ins and outs. I had to learn to trust someone else. But my mistake was truly thinking that leadership was this godlike existence, which is just a lot of rubbish. And you know why? Do you know who I blame? I blame leaders who don't share their mistakes. Because you only get to see the glory in the newspaper. You know, the August editions of all the newspaper, we get all those GCSE results, or the national conferences, or when someone gets knighted, but we don't get to see the mistakes along the road. And if we, as leaders coming up, don't get to see those or hear them, we think it's all glory. And it's not. It's not hellish, don't get me wrong. I loved being a head teacher. But you've got to operate from a place of truth. Too many of us operate from a place of absolute fantasy. You know, and it's not like that. It's some of leadership is just grunt work. It's just showing up every day, big boots on, big knickers on, pull on your big coat. It's just grunt work. You can't wear a bikini when it's winter. And, and some days it's that glorious moment where a child says to you, good morning. And that child, you excluded them last week, right? But they're back, they're happy, we reset and it's a good day or it's sports day or it is results day or some parent that you've not been able to get through to turns up to parents evening and those moments where you know I've changed the narrative of that young person's life I've changed the trajectory of that whole family because their child is now successful that makes it not just worth it but it makes the job valuable so don't do what I did and try and be God that position's taken Oh, come on. The triumphs always belong to the team, don't they? They always belong to the team. But there was, <laughs> I had a head of maths back in the day. He left and went back to New Zealand. Really good guy, really good guy. And one day, when, when school was tough, it was my first year, and it was all a bit pear-shaped, he come up to me, proper swaggering, and he says, Miss Osagi, this year we'll be lucky if we get 26% in maths. Because the data from key, used to project data on key stage two, you know, you do that little projection, what have you. The data's telling us that they're, they're going for 24%. I think I can push for 26. I was sat down, luckily, 
<laughs> and we're at this meeting. It was like, you know, you know when you meet with SLT and MLT, you meet together once a week. So we're at this meeting. It's at the end of the meeting. So I looked at him. I'm sitting down. He's looking at me like, you know, what are you going to do now, Miss Osagi? I told you. And I said to him, take a seat. You t what's the national average for maths, GCSE? That year was 66%. I said, are you a man who can get me average? Are you an average kind of man? Right. I was getting personal, but I don't care. And he went, what, what do you mean by that? Can you get me average? I'm not even asking you for exceptional. I just want average from you. Can I have a bit of average, please? Go back to your team and say to them, Miss Osagi wants average, 66%. Go back to your team and ask them, what do we need to get average? I don't care what you need. I will make it happen, but I want average, all right? And I stormed off. <laughs> he comes back a week later, right? The team say we need this, and it was all some resources, this, that, and the other, bits and bobs, um, revision night on a Tuesday, blah, 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 blah. Fine. Whatever you wanted. I don't want exceptional from you, Sam. If the data's saying 26, I accept that. But I'm not going to stay there. You, you, over my dead body, are you mad? So that means, what's 100 to take by 26? 74 out of every 100 children don't have maths. Really? Come on now. The year goes past. What, do they, what, do they, what does he get? Exactly 66%. I mean, you, it's like a film. Results day comes. I swear this man was floating. You know those little shoes that kids wear, they've got wheels on, so it's like they're gliding. He glided in, results day, like, oh, you know, like Adonis comes in. And I mean, people are cheering for him, clapping for him. You know, he pulled out these phenomenal results. They were average, but you know what? We were predicted, those kids, the narrative over their life said 26% of you will get maths. That was a, a narrative that they brought to us. And I said, I refuse to accept that narrative. The triumph came because those children got their maths. I mean, I was upset. But they're still, you know, 33, you didn't get it, but you got to, you take your wins, don't you? And I said, their life, do you know what it's like to be in this country and not have English and maths? When I became a head teacher, they asked me for my English and maths certificates. I had to go to my mother's loft and dig it out. I've got CSE, Caroline, you're too young to remember CSE. I've got CSE grade one math. That was the one below A level, uh, below O level, right? I was, I was in the, <laughs> I was in set five, <laughs> put it that way. I knew the triumph was those young people got what they needed for the next step. The triumph was that the head of maths was held up as a man that could turn 26 into 66. So I let him have the glory because it belonged to him. But I found that the triumphs in my life have generally come through teams, through others, through saying to someone else, come on, give me average at least, right? And then when you get the average, you know what I ask for him next year, don't you? If you get me 66, Sam, I want 76. Next, then I <laughs> he left before he got to 86. <laughs>
So if I get six inch from you, I know I can get 76. I know I, can, I know I can get this. Might take some time. So my triumphs come through others pushing you. I'll be there at your back. I'll support you. I'll do what is necessary. But I'll, I'll say this to you. I won't let you accept mediocrity. That way, triumph will come to all of us. Well, you must find your your work as a coach immensely rewarding, supporting supporting other people to um, to their achievements. And uh, I believe you've got something something new and and rather exciting launching next oh, week. <laughs> when I say excited, oh my days! I'm just beside myself. <laughs> You know that I run, I found it during the second lockdown because I was dead bored, I swear. So I found it during the second lockdown, the Academy of Women's Leadership. Because I, I coach men and women, um, and I only coach senior leaders. But I was coaching more and more women on the same issues over and over and over again. I'm like, okay, there's got to be an efficient method of doing this, right? But when I, was, I wasn't just coaching them, I was teaching them. Remember I said to you, we don't get taught leadership I was teaching them aspects of female leadership and there is something about female leadership because I say this and I don't mind sharing this with your listeners because I've said it on the on keynotes before not a man would never know what it's like to miscarry on a Friday and back at work on a Monday how do you manage your womanhood with the top job of headship so you might go to your CEO, whoever, how do you manage and lead through that prism? And this happened to me in my headship for a, few, a couple of times, a few times at school, I miscarried after governor's meeting late at night. Drove myself up the motorway, home, hospital. I was back at school the next day. Cause I'm the head. And I don't know what to do with that part of my womanhood. I don't know where to take it. I don't know what to, I don't know. No one's taught me to sit at the leadership table with my womanhood and be fine with it. So on the academy, we teach women how to secure their leadership role, their leadership stance, their confidence, which is not a feeling, by the way, and to thrive at the leadership table as a woman, not as a, a, a caricature of a woman, not as a real tough skinned Cruella Deville character. You can be yourself. If you're a kind, loving woman, be a kind, loving leader. But we equate kindness with weakness. That's the biggest load of rubbish I've ever heard. So, this academy was born and I have 12 other women at the top of their game. Some are educationalists, some are from the NHS, some are from marketing, and we wrote a curriculum that teaches women how to thrive at the leadership table. Not how to become a leader, because you've got to be a leader before you come to us, but how to secure your leadership, that you are a woman of influence, of gravitas, and of deep confidence. So, on Monday, we had the three-day transformational challenge, which I'm running Monday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, 70 minutes, half past six, and it's free. Because I'm saying it's too valuable 
for me to hold it for those who are going to pay for it. Just this bit, though, you've got to pay for the academy. But just this bit, when I say, I mean, like people know me for, you know, being a bit fiery <laughs> stuff. It's going to be fire. I'm going to teach and we're going to engage deeply on the things that prevent transformation in our mind because once your mind is transformed then what you think is possible is transformed then what you do is different but you need someone to help you navigate that's what this monday night program is all about the transformational challenge. So my goodness, we've already got you know a couple of hundred women signed up. There's plenty of room because as I said, it's free, three nights. But in three days, three nights, I know we can transform your mind entirely. Your last quarter of the year, September to December, will be completely different. So it's a bit of a guarantee I'm offering here. Engage for three nights, I give you back a quarter year of absolute transformation. Wow. I mean, it sounds absolutely fantastic. And, and we'll, we'll have a detail of how people can get involved on the notes from this, this podcast. Um, and and you, you say, you know, leaders, um, is, will this be education and beyond or mainly? Absolutely and beyond. We've got women who are marketers. We've got women who are CEOs, financial CEOs, um, educationalists, social workers. It's about women at the table of leadership and having your mindset transformed. The three-day transformation is for women in any leadership position. So if you're entry level or if you're CEO, I, I, I guarantee you there are things in your mind that sabotage you, you don't even know about it. You, you, you live happily in coalition with sabotaging thoughts and patterns and ways of behaving. I did it for years, years, years and years. Sabotaged myself, yet I was a successful head teacher. Mm, really interesting. And, I, and I'm, I'm curious, because as, as you mentioned, you, you do also run, run the Academy of Women's Leadership. Sort of, why? Why, you know, you've mentioned, you know, some of physical, you know, differences between men and women and, and concept of, of womanhood. But why, why do you think women do lead differently and accepting, you know, different styles just because you are a woman doesn't mean you're going to, as you say, some people yeah. have, you know, other different tendencies, different ways, different ways in which I'm doing. I'm not saying we're all women lead the same, but. Why do you think there is that that difference between men and women in leadership? It's because we it's because we see the world differently because we are different. And that difference is to be embraced. If you understand diversity and you secure a diverse leadership team for your organization, you bring such strategic advantage to your table. So when you have women in leadership. You have that, I mean, there's studies on the, you know, the increase in empathy, the increase in awareness and that kind of thing. There are leadership styles which women lead, lend themselves to, which bring advantage to your table. So 
it's not just about teach. I don't teach women how to be leaders. I teach them how to be the effective version of themselves. Mm. Does that make sense? So whoever you are as a woman, what you're doing, I'm teaching you to see yourself as the effective, deeply supreme, confident version of yourself. But when you're, I mean, it's the, we call, I call it the four C's. First of all, it's about connection. When you connect with veterans of leadership in your field, you open yourself up to advantage and to networking, which is powerful. I'm a woman that hated networking. I couldn't stand it. I thought that was for busybodies and people didn't know what they were doing. People who were, you know, weren't very good at their job and had time for lots of meetings. That's what I thought networking was. I'm a complete convert. Then you need the clarity. And that's what the curriculum does. The, clarity, the, the curriculum we put together, it helps women to see the better version of themselves as a leader they are now and to plan their way forward. Then the confidence comes in. That's where you have the coaching because I say this, Caroline, attempting leadership on your own is suicidal. It's a stupid thing to do, to attempt leadership on your own. Having a coach or a veteran or someone you can trust in your corner who is your advocate, who has no other agenda but your success. So they don't work for your organization. It's not the half hourly chat with a CEO. That's not coach, that's just a chat. It's not the half hourly line management meeting. That's a line management meeting. I'm talking about coaching relationship that changes how you think, feel, and then what you then do. That's coaching. And then you move into that stage of conquering where I don't teach you when this happens, do this, when this happens, do that. I can't teach you the answer to every single challenge you'll face, but I can teach the principles so that no matter what comes your way, you have the stance to deal with it. I'm teaching women, or we on the academy, teach women to be that version of themselves where they are deeply effective. Deeply effective. You are sought after because of how effective you are. And you do that with the children, with the spouse, with the elderly parents, with all the womanhood stuff going on. You know, when we talk about spinning plates, juggling different agendas, it's not even multitasking, it's just being phenomenal. Mm. I'm interested that sort of point you 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 make there about um kind of all all the all the different ways in which you need to, you know good leaders will will want to be effective and also feel effective i think that's really critical sometimes uh, people are so immersed in things they they can't actually see their achievements because all they can see is the unending to-do list and the things that haven't <laughs> gone right um yeah. but it does feel to to me that particularly leaders in education and that those running schools and trusts are subject to, to even greater demands yeah. and, and higher expectations, be that from, from parents, the public. You know, COVID's been really tough. Yes, um, yes. Uh, what, sort of, what, can we, what can we do about that? Um, and, and, and what can people who are feeling this enormous pressure do about that? When, when COVID hit, and you know we began to see this is going to be this is going to be difficult and it's going to be long term 
one of the things, when I, some of the heads that I was coaching, I said to them, listen to me carefully, because you know, coaching and mentoring, sometimes I slip into, just, just listen, don't, I'm not coaching, I'm just telling you, right? <laughs> you are not the nurse, the social worker, the, the feeder, the, um, the dinner lady, you are the head teacher. I know that society is going to demand from you that you step into all these other roles as well as society began to close down and schools were the only thing left sort of thing. But you must remember who you are and what you are for. Because this is for the long term. If you burn out because you are delivering meals in your car to families all around your community, they're going to lose their head teacher, not the delivery meals man or woman. So delegate that. Don't forget the, the, what you've been taught. You know how to delegate. You work through teams. Don't suddenly become the be all and end all, go back to being God, because pressure comes. When pressure comes, as I used to do it myself as a leader, you saw, you know, I could do that. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll do, stop it. You're the head teacher. We roll our sleeves up and get stuck in. I'm not saying don't get stuck in, but I'm saying don't become the person that wipes their nose. There's someone that does that. Empower them to wipe noses. Empower the other person to deliver the meals. When I saw it on Twitter, head teachers boasting almost about delivering meals why are you doing that you've got premises managers with cars you've got mentors you've got you've got other people who can do that why have you changed roles stop it remember who you are you're not a novice you're the head teacher you're a leader you, you know who you are and i saw people almost lose themselves because the pandemic was so weird crushing unknown, unprecedented. They lost who they were and took on all these other jobs and all these other roles to be doing something rather than empowering their teams to do the doing. Whilst you hold the, 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 hold the ship steady. I need you to hold the ship steady, not go down and change the, the, the linen sheets in the, in, the, in the bunker downstairs, leaving the rudder. Hold the ship steady. So I told people then, and I tell people now, you're not a novice. There was too much, what do we do, what do we do? Just stop and think with your team, you know what to do when crisis comes. One, get your perspective. What can we do? What should we do? What do we want to do, but we can't do it? and be open and honest in that conversation with your community, be it your staff, the young people, your parents. We would love to do X, but we cannot. So people know what you're thinking and they also know your capacity and your boundaries. The boundaries just went to pots in some places. People were just doing all sorts of things because crisis came and they panicked. Yeah. yeah. So it's about keeping your head. That's why we don't get paid an NQT salary. Mm. 
part of your salary is rewarding you for thinking. Not just not doing, just thinking strategically, operationally, deeply, widely thinking. It's, it's a, I mean, hope, hopefully some, are, you know, we're in a very different, different place. But I think, um, you know, evoking that time, it's, that's a really, it's a really useful perspective. And I think it's, it's, it's hard sometimes for people who feel very, you know, humble, but mm. you do have to have that conversation around what is my salary? And, and what is required of me in, in my role, actually, I need to be doing this much as I would like to be exactly. pitching in yeah. with the team. Yeah. Um, we, we're yeah. all guilty of it from, from we are. time and, to time. You know what? It feels good. It feels good. You know, I, I did it as head. It feels good to be out on the playground. It feels good to, to connect in that way. But there are times when you don't do that. You know, there are times and... And then, and then you do it. To, it's, 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 you do it to an extent, and then you empower the people who should be there to do it. And you step back and let them have their, their let them have the full span of their job of their role. And we do. We come in as almost like to validate people. You know, come on now, let people have the full glory of their role, and you stand and cheer from the sidelines but prepare and get things ready in the background that will come forward, you know? Too many heads got caught out, oh God, no, the kids can't read now, you know, because we weren't teaching for it or whatever, or things happen about, well, come on, if school's been closed or, you know, for live teaching, we have to do it online, what would you be thinking, if we do this for a year, how are we gonna recover? You should be thinking about that a year ago. You know, because that's what you're paid to think about. You're paid to think about, okay, if we do online lessons for a year, what is recovery going to look like? You should be thinking about that the year before. And that's why I was trying to get heads to be that better version of themselves and not get crumpled by minutiae, empower others to hold the minutiae and do it well whilst you think into the future and prepare the road for when recovery must come. Yeah, no, I think the ability to actually get beyond that that day-to-day moment. It's not easy. You know, that, yeah. it's, it's really hard, but like so, as you easy, say, that is that person's yeah. I've role. Been, I've been ahead. It's not easy mm. because the day-to-day, I mean, hundreds of emails, the DFE were writing to you at three o'clock in the morning, all kind of rubbish was going on. It's not easy. It's not mm. easy, you know, but... Um, with with that in mind it it, it isn't easy and um you know we already mentioned there you know it's it can be very difficult to recruit head teachers but it being we're talking in september and we've got a lot of people starting their their leadership positions um what other than of course joining joining your sessions uh, um what would you suggest to to new heads um coming into the role this term I've got some practical advice. <laughs> One, do not substitute anything for your physical health. Just don't. You will regret it. I did. So if you do gym three nights a week or swimming, whatever it is your thing, do it. Just do it. If governors goes on to nine o'clock and I just say, I have to leave at eight because I've got to go to, I swim. So we have to either do it quicker, do it online or whatever, but we're not doing it for five hours. I'm not doing it. 
So don't substitute your physical health for anything. If you don't make time for your physical health, you will make time for illness. And you, you can't schedule when illness will come. So I'm just putting it out there. Two, get a coach. I think coaching should be mandatory <laughs> for leaders, especially for new heads for the first two years of headship. Not a coach for within your organization, not your CEO every half hour, every half term gives you a half hour. That's not coaching. That's keeping in touch, valuable in its own self. Get a coach, get your school to pay for it. If they don't value enough to invest in your coaching, there's a conversation to be had there about, you know, okay, so I'm not worth five grand for coaching. What do you mean? Conversation to be had. Get a coach, someone that you can talk with and that someone that will say to you, I'm holding up a mirror to you. Have a look at yourself, right? I won't be afraid. You know, if, if I'm your coach, I'll hold up the mirror. Have a look at yourself. What do you see? You know, and I'm not afraid to do that. I don't work for your boss. I work for me. Get a coach. Have an advocate in your corner. Get to know your staff. I don't want to give away one of the modules. We teach the academy. I give the questions, I give the actual meeting framework. It's not about, you know, oh, hello, how are you? God, get to know your staff deeply. You are head teacher and you are head relationship maker. You need to be a master of making relationships. You should be able to make a relationship with a rock, right? Mushrooms, anything you can make a relationship with. And then I'll give you a quick tool, MIC, M-I-C. <clears throat> I teach this, been teaching for 20 years. M, if you're, when you get there, you audit stuff, you want to find out what's going on, introduce change, blah, 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 do it this way. M, what should I maintain? Because it's fine. Leave it alone. So you're asking the community, maintain, what we're going to keep, maintain it. I, what should we improve? It's all right, but it could be better. Tweak, tweak. See what we're going to change. It's not all right. It's not about improving it. It's about stopping it and doing something else or just stopping it and just not doing anything in that place. M-I-C. When you mick, you recognise people's hard work on agendas that may not be working very well, but they've put their life and soul into that. You come along as head teacher, rock up and just, just get rid of it. They're going to hate you, and rightly so. It may not be the most effective marking policy, but I, I wrote that. It took me four that you know? So you've, got to, you've got to value. So the M bit shows we're going to keep that bit because we maintain it's, it's valuable. You don't throw people's work out the window because you're rocking up as the head. I, you're, you're getting them into that discourse. What can, where's the improvement going to come from? And C, that's where you make the call. We're going to change this. We're going to change the other. It makes you come across as an intelligent person, you know, not um, gung ho in baby out baby in bath water out bath water. You know, you 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 are intelligent about the way you handle people's work life. So those are the three bits of uh, advice: health above everything, coach definitely, Mick always.
Oh, fantastic. As you say, very, very practical um, stuff there. And obviously, best of luck to everybody um, yes. starting in those new roles this term. Uh, yes, and we also do have quite a lot of governors listening, listening in and um, just mentioned governors uh, meetings there. But any any suggestions for those people who are sort of around those new head teachers and, and supporting them through challenging situations? Ask them what they think would be useful rather than telling them what you're going to do as a governing body or as a chair of governors. Ensure you secure coaching for them from the outside. Understand the head teacher that you have. You've appointed somebody, lovely, on paper, interview. The person in front of you is a complex being understand what motivates them as a person as well as as an educator so that you know who your head teacher is therefore you understand their responses or their lack of response because you understand the person lots of governors understand the role of headship not the person in the role it's a deep relationship you've got to be in relationship Tell them what you're thinking. It is irritating when heads find stuff out by email or on the grapevine. I, I, it's just irritating, right? So tell me what you're thinking and I could tell you what I'm thinking because we're in what? Relationship with each other. So just say, what, what are your thoughts on? Where are you, where, where are you, where's your head at on X or regards to Y? Let me tell you where I'm thinking. If the only time you meet is at governor's meeting, where frankly, that's just like a, a, a sculpted, scheduled show, right? When, when do we talk as head teacher and governors? Talk, you know, really talk on a level. Because why? We've got young people's lives in our hands. We're not mucking about here. We've got narratives that need to be changed in our hands. So when do we talk human to human? When, once you start doing like, I mean, my governors were phenomenal. Just, I did my master's degree, uh, my dissertation on my governors. They were so good at supporting Diana, not just the head teacher. They knew Diana because I took time to open myself to them and they did the same to me. I'm still in touch with you know a couple of my governors now, and I left the school because it's 2016. Because they were people, and people love each other, you know. So we, you know, we have some, we have professional love going on. Absolutely. Well, that's that dissertation sounds like a fascinating yeah. Uh, read. <laughs> yeah. The, the LA got annoyed because I forgot to mention <laughs> I forgot to mention the clerk to governors at all. Oh, that went pear shaped. <laughs> he was phenomenal, Mervyn Ellis. You were phenomenal, but I, I didn't mention in the, in, in the dissertation. But I did, because they, they were so crucial to the success of the school. And the young people's lives were influenced by these governors. They will never know it. These young people will never mm. know. But the decisions my governing body took 10 years before affected those year sevens coming through to year 11. It, it, they were a, a body of, of people of integrity and knowledge and willing to put their hands to a very difficult plough. Mm. Oh, 
Wow, I can see, I can see another conversation. I would love I would love to talk to you um, again about that. But um, I, I think we'll draw this conversation to um, yes. close now. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we go? Oh, what can I say to you? You know what? Just the, the definition of courage. I'm, I'm saying to you, what we do, right, as school leaders and school professionals, people look on the outside and comment. They can't do what we do. They just can't do what we do. We change society. We, we're not that we make the difference. We are the difference. We are at the, we are at the, 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 the center of the future of the nation. I swear, if I ever get all of Boris Johnson, I'll tell him that to, to his face. Politicians and those people who have the power need to understand the quality of the workforce that they have in this country. So I say to you, leaders, those of you listening to me, see yourself like that. You're not just the head or just a deputy or just the chair of governors or, or just the SBM. You know, you are the, you're a captain in the army of change. And I salute you as a fellow captain. Oh, Diana, that was an absolutely wonderful note to end on and uh, an an inspirational um, start to uh, September kind of uh, podcast from Key Voices. So thank you so much for talking to us today and thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at keysupport.com and please... Tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions.